are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Lance, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well right now, Noah. How are you doing? You seem very low energy. I'm not low energy. I'm feeling great, man. It was a mellow. I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm doing pretty good, dude. I'm doing pretty good. I'm just trying to conserve all of my energy for the Georgia game this weekend. That's what I'm trying to do. I woke up this morning. I thought, hey, it's hump day. We're already halfway there. It's almost here. I had that realization about an hour ago. It was like the week is flying by right now, and we are getting closer and closer to the uh, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I've just got to get to Friday because that's high school football day. My weekend begins that day. Of course, I work late into the night on a Friday night, but... I enjoy it so much. I don't work a day in my life, and I'm working to get to Friday so I can call the ball game. Once I reach that point, I'm there. So I really have one more work day to get to. There we go. There we go. It's hype. It's hype. Dude, football season, best time of the year, hands down. Take us through what's going on on the show today, Lance. Well, on today, it's it's uh, Report Wednesday. Uh, we're going to break down what Georgia likes to do schematically. Uh, some of their strengths, some of their their weaknesses. At 2.30, we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. I'm sure we're going to be breaking down the Bulldogs a little bit more with him as well. In the second hour, obviously, we've got our Making Headlines segment to start off hour number two. We've got early impressions of some interesting matchups this weekend between some top 25 teams. We're going to predict who could potentially lose this weekend in the AP Top 25. It's going to be a really good show. Let's start it off with a report Wednesday, as we do every Wednesday, taking a look at Auburn's opponent for that week, breaking them down from an analytical standpoint, what information, what statistics we've gathered, as well as a look at what this team will do schematically with some in-depth metrics and whatnot. A lot of that from what we find, whether it be on SEC StatCat or on Pro Football Focus. Lance, let's get into it. What do we expect to see from Georgia schematically on Saturday as we now turn the page from what was an excellent victory in Baton Rouge to now the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Well, let's start with the offense. And offensively so far this season, Georgia hasn't really had to do a whole lot. They've just kind of been able to establish themselves at the line of scrimmage and to just let the game take it from there. So far this season, they've been running the football quite a bit. They'll go inside zone read, inside power, outside zone. Those are those, according to SEC StatCat, those are the three most popular running plays that Georgia goes to, but most likely they're going to an inside zone read type of run whenever they go to throw the ball. Flood variations, according to SEC StatCat, is what they typically go to. They go to some type of play action boot, something to, to, uh, to get the quarterback moving outside the pocket, but... It's been run. It's been run, run, run so far this season. I know they're only averaging 196 rushing yards per game so far this season, which is not a ton, 
but they have tried to establish their game at the line of scrimmage, and they've been they've been able to do so successfully so far this season. So if we're looking at what Auburn is going up against this weekend, it's just an offense that is going to try and ground and pound until you have proven that you can stop it. We saw that last weekend against Arkansas with JT Daniels out with an injury. There's a good chance that he's going to be out this weekend. It'll be Stetson Bennett the fourth. Auburn's played him before, but what they did against Arkansas was just like, okay, we're just going to keep running the ball. We don't have to throw it. We don't feel incredibly comfortable throwing it with our backup, and we don't necessarily need to because we're going to run all over you until you prove that you can stop it. They couldn't last weekend. It's what we're looking at this weekend, a team that likes to ground and pound and then open up the passing game off of it just a little bit. And I'm kind of curious. I've dived into a lot of what this team does schematically and breaking down some of those numbers that I saw on Pro Football Focus and I kind of feel like they play into Auburn's strengths on the defensive side of the football. Of course, we know what the strength is on defense for Auburn. It is stopping the run. But even the passing game, to a degree, I believe, fits into the strength of what Auburn wants to do schematically and the fact that they don't want to give up anything downfield. Well, Georgia's not taking a lot of shots downfield. I want to start with the rushing attack because I know that's where you went first. This is a run-first football team. They have a 62% to 38% run-pass split. They're running the ball 62% of the time. This is not a team that is going out there and spraying the football over the field. And one of the questions that you and I had about this Georgia football team going into this year, which I still don't believe has been answered, is, is this offense, has this scheme been brought into the 21st century? Are we out of 1985 and are we on 2021? Are these guys doing anything different than maybe what we saw when Jake Fromm was the quarterback, when Jacob Eason was the quarterback, which those teams didn't take a ton of shot plays. They had a difficult time stretching the field and their quarterback suffered for it. For some reason, we saw Jacob Eason, we saw Jake Fromm regress over their career. They didn't get a ton worse. It was very little. It's, it, they just didn't improve. And if you're not improving over a three- or four-year career, you're regressing, at least in my eyes. JT Daniels, we haven't seen enough of him this year. We didn't see enough of him last year to know what Georgia really has in the quarterback. We know he has a beautiful arm. We know he's got all the talent in the world. He's got the frame. He's got the size. He's got the ability, I think, to play at the next level. But we haven't seen truly how he fits in this offense from a passing standpoint against good competition. Really, the only game that we got to see that last year was Cincinnati. And what, Georgia put up 24 points? Whoop-de-doo, right? And Cincinnati's a good football team, but still... Cincinnati, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Florida. You compare Cincinnati to all of those teams, and sure, they might be able to beat an LSU. They may be able to beat an Auburn, but are they as good as Alabama? No way, no chance. Are they as good as Florida? I don't know. I think Florida, I know they lost to Kentucky this past week, but I think Florida on their best day, if they were to give their best game, does Cincinnati hold a flame to Florida at least last year they didn't Florida beat Georgia right and I think Florida last year would have beat Cincinnati if that game was played in the regular season I know I'm kind of going off track here a little bit but what I'm trying to say is I don't think we know a ton yet about JT Daniels as a passer against good competition and if it's the Stetson Bennett show this weekend I don't think I would trust him in this kind of environment because he's never been Brady and I were talking about this earlier before the show started he's never been in a game where it was a true road game and it was a hundred percent capacity stadium and it was a hostile environment he the the or outside of the Alabama game in 2020 
which he threw two touchdowns and three interceptions in. He's not been in that environment yet this uh, in his career. He's going to get that against Auburn this weekend. And I just don't know. Even you know, JT Daniels hasn't been exposed to something like Jordan-Hare Stadium yet. Right, and I just don't know if Georgia elects to throw the football a little bit, if they'll be able to be successful. Now, according to SEC StatCat, apparently their success rate throwing the ball is more successful than their when, whenever they run the ball. And you look at their yearly play share as opposed to their yardage share most of their plays are running the football but most of their success comes from throwing the football switch variations flood variations like i mentioned earlier rub variations in the passing game whenever they go to elect to throw the football guys are getting open and they're moving the ball downfield but this is not a team that wants to do that and so you're talking about playing into auburn's strength as a defense if look if georgia wants to try and ground and pound that's great and all I don't think Auburn's Arkansas. I think Auburn's going to be able to hold up just a little bit better in that run game, or the, the run support and the run defense, and it's going to force Georgia to throw the football. Have they been successful so far this season? Yes, but whenever you get into those third and medium, third and long situations, I just don't know if they're going to be able to convert at a rate as they have been so far this season. Which would make this a lot closer of a ball game than maybe the line that was set at 14 and a half this week would suggest. Still looking at this rushing attack, it's a 58-42 split between zone and gap run plays, meaning 58% of the time they are running a zone run and 42% of the time they are running power. That is the highest, that is the heaviest power influence scheme that Auburn has faced this year that I, that I can remember. Since we've been doing Report Wednesdays, I don't think we've seen someone above 30% yet that's been running that much power. I don't, I don't think we've seen that yet. Georgia likes to push this ball outside a little bit a little bit more than maybe what we've seen up to this point a lot of what we've seen from Auburn opponents is zone running in between the tackles and a lot of instances in between the guards that's where some of these teams have had most of their success namely Penn State Georgia believe it or not this team goes off tackle a lot according to pro football focus they have 83 attempts for 416 yards and five yards per carry and five touchdowns whether it's going off of left end or right end that that those two combined those two areas of the field combined Georgia's had a lot of success there of course they've had success in between those areas of the field as well outside of those two areas they have 592 yards rushing on 118 attempts for five yards per carry and six touchdowns but look at the split there 83 rush attempts go off tackle to 118 attempts at any other gap on the field these guys like to pull their guards they like to as well as you said outside zone is a heavy influence in this scheme they like to get this thing out on the outside they have a lot of trust in their tight ends whether it be Bowers or Darnell Washington they have a lot of the, uh, of trust in their tight ends to try and put this thing out of the edge that particular area of this rushing attack concerns me because I do have questions about Auburn's defensive backs and run stopping this year yeah I do as well and again like you mentioned the power in this scheme whenever they go to try and go to inside power it's the most that an opponent that Auburn will face arguably this season it's the most that anybody's going to run power against Auburn it's going to be interesting to see how they stop that because they're typically going to go according to SEC StatCat they're going to go duos they're going to try and run some type of dive or jab play but also like you mentioned they also go to the counter they also like to run off tackle the outside zone is also a major factor in this scheme there's a lot of different things that Georgia's going to throw at you in the run game and I like the way that Auburn's linebackers are playing right now if Owen Papa was in this game I'd be like all right we've got linebackers that can fly to the football and they can plug gaps and they can make stops but like you mentioned if things get to the second level with 
Auburn don't know how confident I am in the tacklers in the secondary because we saw it early against Akron, right? We saw different moments where it's like, okay, tackling could be an issue. Angles could be an issue. We saw it against Georgia State we saw it against, we in were, a big way. For the entire first half against Georgia State, State we saw it like, oh, these guys are ripping off runs left and right. Auburn's just out of position. Don't know how Derek Mason is going to approach this game this Saturday, but what I can tell you is that Auburn is going to have to be able to make tackles in the open field, and they're going to have to stop things before they get to the second level because, again— Linebackers are going to have to get off their blocks. The passing game— extends off of this right that's the way that Georgia likes to operate on their offense we can't let them get into a rhythm get things into short yarded situations where you can let Stetson Bennett get a couple of quick throws out there get himself in rhythm because that offense starts to open up and then things could get out of hand quickly because they're becoming multiple I want to see Auburn try and make this team one-dimensional on Saturday with that being said though I think there are there are also some benefits to Georgia to Auburn's matchup against Georgia's rushing attack I know that that may be a particular concern with Auburn off on the edge because I don't know if Auburn's been Auburn didn't look great against Georgia State that way now granted they were without Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean for that first half that probably had a lot to do with that but just from what we've seen up to this point that particular area concerns me but I do think there are some benefits here I have questions about Georgia's rushing attack too look at who they've played this year the strength of schedule isn't great. I like Georgia being able to push around South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and UAB in the trenches. Clemson, great defense. They only scored three points offensively against it. Georgia as a team is averaging 4.8 rush yards per carry. Auburn, just for comparison here, I believe is averaging over six. I think it's around 6.8. So like almost two more yards. Yes, Georgia is averaging 4.8 yards per carry Auburn is averaging 6.8 yards per attempt on the ground as well. So, like, if you want to know, if you want something to compare the Georgia rushing attack to right now, you compare it to Auburn here, their opponent, another team that likes to run the football a lot, and Auburn's averaging almost 7 yards per carry. Now, you've ripped off some massive chunk plays like the Jarquez Hunter run against Alabama State. That's going to skew that a little bit. But Jarquez Hunter also ripped off big plays against Penn State and LSU. Tank Bigsby has ripped off some big plays against those teams as well. So, like, it's not like they're completely skewed based off of the first two opponents that Auburn played Auburn did that against good teams as well such as Penn State and LSU so I do have questions about this Georgia rushing attack at this point 4.8 is good but in college football the best rushing teams in the country are averaging well over five yards per carry you can go and look at it every single season Georgia at 4.8 is good not amazing and based off of the competition that they've played at this point my question is why is it not amazing also has someone emerged out of this backfield as the go-to running back it is still a committee by approach now part of that could be Georgia loves all of its running backs and they're all talented which they are and you can get to them in different ways because of their different skill sets Zabir White offers you something different than James Cook and Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh they all offer you something different but at this point it's been a committee by approach with Zamir White with 54 attempts James Cook with 34, Kendall Milton with 36, and Kenny McIntosh with 29. Zamir White's their number one, but they do balance out the carries amongst four different running backs. They have five guys that have over 20 attempts so far this season. Like you just said, it's running back by committee, which makes it difficult to prepare for, right, if you're yeah. Auburn. You can't you can't go into the game expecting that it's going to be the Zamir White show if it, or if it's going to be the James Cook show. You've got to be able to prepare for all of these guys and their different skill sets like you just mentioned. There's a wealth of riches there, but I also question where does Zamir White place in the conference amongst, if I were ranking running backs, where would I put Zamir White? Right. 
and we talked over the summer about this and nothing has changed through the first five weeks for me I think Zamir White is a good running back James Cook is a good running back but do they have a stud in that backfield do they have a Tank Bigsby a Jarquez Hunter a Chris Rodriguez even an Isaiah Spiller a Jerrion Ely do they have a Brian Robinson back there I don't think so still a good group but I don't think that that exists right and you talk about you know Auburn's numbers being skewed because of the opponents that they played I also want to point out that you know Vanderbilt UAB and South Carolina while uh, all due respect are not the best defenses in the, in the nation or the best offenses in the nation in fact yesterday we talked about it on, on the show the average uh, offense that uh, that Georgia has faced so far this season including Clemson including Arkansas when you average it out they are 82nd nationally in total yards per game so it, it, they've not faced anybody that has been truly excellent or truly efficient and like you mentioned earlier Auburn averaging almost seven yards a carry can we just stop and appreciate how during Gus Malzahn's tenure we just wanted consistency and efficiency on the offensive side of the ball and it seems like so far through five games the rushing attack has been just phenomenal in terms of efficiency we'll we'll have those chunk plays but it's consistent with Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter it's going to be interesting to see you know how these two teams match up because I feel like their numbers are slightly inflated uh, based off some of the, the the quality of their competition and we'll dive more into what this offensive line does from a run blocking perspective later on in the show today where we talk about Georgia's strengths Georgia's weaknesses and how Auburn matches up against it but I'll say this this is my final assessment of Georgia's rushing attack before we go to break and when we come back we'll talk about the passing game this is my final assessment here it's a good rushing attack but I wouldn't say it's great and I wouldn't say that it's unstoppable I think some of your better teams in the SEC and Auburn's defense may fit into that category. Auburn's defense may be trending into that category, at least from a run-stopping perspective. I think Auburn very much so can rise to the occasion and stop and limit what Georgia wants to do on the ground. Then it comes down to, can Georgia throw the football to find 28, 30 points against Auburn? And that has not been proven yet. No, it's not. And and like we mentioned earlier, you know, 196 rushing yards per game is, is great and all, but it's not elite. And I think Auburn, with the way that they are stopping the run, they'll definitely have some opportunities to make this Georgia team throw the football. This final score last year was 27-6, right? That was the final score last year. Georgia scored 27 points at their place. And Auburn's offense was inept, one of the worst performances we've seen. With Stetson Bennett and a healthy George Pickens. You also can look back to two years ago in Jordan-Hare Stadium. It was 21-0. Talk about even worse. Auburn's offense was even more inept in that ball game back in 2018. And Georgia only put up 21 points and couldn't put the nails in the coffin. Auburn brought it back. 21-14 still lose. My question is to everybody, have we seen anything from Georgia this year based on their competition that tells you they are going to score more than 27 points in Jordan-Hare Stadium this year? And I think the answer to that is no. Now, that's not me saying that they won't score more than 27 points. That's not me saying that they don't have the ability to do it. But I'm just saying, has anything happened this year to change the way that this game has played or to change the way that you view how this game has played traditionally between Auburn and Georgia, which is typically a less than 30-point affair for both of these teams? You also, on the flip side, and I agree with you, I don't know if a whole lot of points are going to be scored in this game. You also have to ask, where do Auburn's offensive points come from? Yeah, has Auburn done anything this year that would tell you that they're going to score more than 17? Because they scored 14 at home two years ago, you know? Can Auburn get into the 20s? Because if Auburn can get into the 20s at home against Georgia, I think they can win. 
But let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll break down Georgia's passing game, what we expect to see from them schematically as they try and air out the football against Auburn on Saturday. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us on the show. We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the upcoming matchup between Auburn and Georgia? Thoughts on Baton Rouge this past weekend? We want to hear from you. Text line as well if you're on the go, 334-564-1840. Good show so far today, Lance. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've missed any of it, you can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll have it uploaded shortly after the show ends at 4 today. Uh, it's been phenomenal so far this college football season, and I really enjoy going back. And I'm not saying I love listening to myself. I just like listening and, and, and just engaging uh, with, with the college football community as we continue to go through the season. Take me through Georgia's passing attack. So, like I mentioned earlier, Georgia typically is going to go to some type of flood variation, right? They're going to try and move the quarterback out of the pocket. They're going to try and do some type of play action, some sales, some crossers also as well. And like I mentioned earlier, they have more success, at least it appears to be, throwing the football than they do running the football. Switch variation seems to work pretty well for them. And what a switch is, essentially, you're going to have a wheel, a dig route, and a post. It's, it's some combination of those three routes. They also like to run scissors as well. But it's switch, flood, rub variations. They're going to run something like that. It's, it's, not, it's not too crazy. It's not too complex. Um, but, but again, the passing game has been more efficient so far uh, than the running game this season. Which is interesting, considering they haven't gone to it a whole lot. And it's really been an extension of what they've done on the ground. Once again, I go back to their run-first offense. It's a 62-38 run-pass split in terms of percentages. They're running the ball 62% of the time. Breaking down what Georgia likes to do from a depth perspective in the passing attack, these numbers, according to Pro Football Focus, they're a short-to-intermediate passing depth type of team. They have only taken 10 passes thrown downfield into the deep category of the field which is 20 plus yards down the field they've only thrown 10 passes downfield that's averaging two shot plays per game they do not throw this football downfield this is how it breaks down from a percentages standpoint these are Stetson Bennett numbers or excuse me these are JT Daniel numbers Stetson Bennett numbers he's thrown just a little bit higher of a percentage downfield but they're pretty much the same thing they're 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 there's not a whole lot of variation there maybe a little bit more beyond the line of scrimmage from Stetson Bennett from what we've seen but there's still just not a large enough sample size for really either of these quarterbacks I think it's safe to say it's short to intermediate but this is what JT Daniels has thrown this year 4.2 percent of the time downfield deep ball 26.4 percent of the time in the bracket of 10 to 19 yards downfield listed as intermediate short passes 29.2 percent of the time that's zero to 10 yards down the field And then 34.7% of the time behind the line of scrimmage. Meaning 63.9% of passes this season are within 10 yards or behind the line of scrimmage for Georgia, which is shocking to me. I didn't expect to see as many screen passes. I didn't expect to see as many short passes from Georgia as some of the other teams that we've seen this year. I would have expected more from LSU. I would have expected more from Penn State. In fact, I actually think Georgia's throwing more passes at the time Auburn's playing them compared to when Auburn was playing Penn State and LSU, a high percent of passes is either in short yardage or behind the line of scrimmage. 
And you would you would expect that, right, with the injuries that they've had at wide receivers so far this season. You would not expect them to be chucking the ball downfield too often. Now, Brock Bowers, their tight end, has been phenomenal in the intermediate passing game. I believe they have four or five guys on roster that have at least nine receptions and average over 13.2 yards per catch. Whenever these guys get going, they get going. You, whenever they find them in the open field, they're able to get some extra yards after contact. While they may not be taking a ton of shot plays, again, like I mentioned, the passing game has just been efficient for Georgia. And you asked earlier whether or not this scheme has taken a step out of the 1980s into the modern world. I don't know if it has. I don't know if it has, but at least it's working, right? The passing game is. And credit Todd Munkin for figuring out how to still remain in 1980 but have an efficient passing game. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making fun of making fun of the offense or anything. Like legitimately, it's not an overly complex offense. It's not a, it's not an offense at least right now that's going to stretch you vertically but at least they're being efficient in what they're doing kind of keep elaborating on that a little bit what's making this team so efficient well again like i mentioned earlier they've got th- four or five guys that are averaging over 13 yards per catch so they're obviously either getting yards after contact or they're finding guys in the middle of the field that are just simply open they're just finding guys downfield that are open and it's either credit to the scheme or credit to the talent of the players. I think it's a mix of both. And so you talk about Auburn's run game being efficient. When you have that many guys that have that many catches that are still averaging 13, 14, 15, I believe they, I don't, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but a receiver that average over, averages over 17 yards a catch, that's being efficient in the passing game. When you're trying to ground and pound and then you're like, okay, finally we're going to throw, it's good to not have a throw that is short or is incomplete. You're getting guys open and you're getting those chunk plays in the passing game whenever you want to get them Daniels has been rather efficient when he has thrown the ball downfield and in that deep category three passes from JT Daniels this year have gone for 20 plus yards three just three on like 75 pass attempts just three of them have been considered downfield passes according to pro football focus two went for touchdowns one went for a pick so high risk high reward and it's mostly been reward from JT Daniels when he's chucked the ball down the field something else about this passing attack 63% of the time it's a normal pass 37% of the time it's play action that's a higher split as well for play action than we've seen from other teams this year that Auburn has faced these guys do want to run the football and then they want to hit you with play action it's not necessarily play action shot play like Auburn likes to do but it is play action like you said with flood concepts where you've got receivers stacked up at dinner different intervals and at this point Georgia's been hitting the tight end on a heavy occasion when these linebackers come up to try and stop the run because of the injuries I believe that they had at the beginning of the season they were trying to figure out all the different guys that they could get touches in the passing game and so far they've been able to spread the ball out and been able to do so well Jermaine Burton Kiaris Jackson's coming back Lad McConkey, like I mentioned brought Bowers Darnell Washington should be healthy for this game they've got a plethora of tight ends and receivers that are going to be able to get open for them another interesting statistic here as we go to break 32 percent over almost a third of Georgia's passes are screens. They get the running backs involved. Kenny McIntosh, a player to watch out of the backfield. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far today. It's a report Wednesday on On the Line. Break it down. Georgia from a schematic standpoint. Metrics analysis numbers all that good stuff but we're going to take a break from that we got justin ferguson of the auburn observer here on the wednesday edition of the show justin appreciate you adjusting your schedule for us to come on the show here for a wednesday justin how you doing today my man 
Justin, are you there? Nope. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Appreciate yeah, yeah. you. I'm doing all right. How are y'all? We're doing really well. Um, all right, Justin, let's get into it. Before we flip the page to the Deep South's oldest rivalry, Auburn LSU, what were your takeaways from that ball game? Well, I mean, it was a, it was a great game for Auburn in, in, in a number of ways, and the fact that it showed uh, it can it can overcome a slow start away from home. I mean, after the end of the first quarter, it was like Auburn was going to be in trouble. And uh, you know, how much could the season really shift on you know if you go down there to LSU and you don't you don't even look competitive, but uh, you know. Bo Nix got into a rhythm, uh, made some incredible plays, uh, you know, avoiding the rush. But I thought I was really impressed with the way he used his legs on, on running plays and uh, looking a little bit more patient uh, and confident with his with his pocket passing in that game. Um, running game started to spring a little bit late. They found ways to overcome the fact that LSU was loading the box and, and really, really keying in on the downhill running game. And then the defense, I mean, uh, really after the first drive of the game, they did a really good job of not only holding LSU out of the end zone, but limiting Max Johnson and Kayshawn Boutte, uh, and an LSU passing attack that's got a lot of talent and really wants to do um, a variety of things through the air. So, I mean, it was just good adjustments, good responses on both sides of the ball. Team showed a lot of fight after coming down 13 nothing, and, you know, winning at a place you haven't won in 22 years is always a – a big sign of uh, progress and a step forward for your program. But, um, you know, I think the way Auburn got it done should give them confidence moving forward. Um, this this weekend against Georgia is going to be extremely difficult. Um, but I think you feel like the season uh, kind of shifted uh, based on uh, what Auburn was able to do on Saturday. Flipping the script now to the Deep South's oldest rivalry for this Saturday. Of course, Auburn can expect to have a very loud home faithful behind them, but that's something that Georgia hasn't been exposed to yet, and namely their starting quarterback, JT Daniels. He hasn't experienced something like Jordan-Hare Stadium yet in his career, and neither really has Stetson Bennett. What is your takeaway from Georgia? Not only their strength of schedule at this point, not saying that it's bad, it's, it's they've played a better strength of schedule. I think folks may, maybe would argue that Auburn has, but uh, they haven't extremely been challenged on the road yet. No, they haven't, and, and you know, Stetson Bennett and J.C. Daniels haven't, either one of those guys, like you said, have not been in this environment before. We know uh, Georgia's offense is dealing with a lot of injuries, especially the wide receiver position. They've got a really good ground game. They've got a really good offensive line. Um, but, you know, if Auburn can play to its strengths, uh, which has been slowing down the run this season, um, you know, can they rattle the quarterback a little bit? Can they get after a wide receiver unit that uh, – Hasn't been, you know, is, is not at full strength. I think they're very talented and they've got a lot of a lot of good pieces and they're obviously a really good team. But you know, they haven't been into this environment yet, haven't been put into some of these situations. And can Auburn take advantage of that? I mean, that's going to be a big thing in this game because I think the way Auburn's defense showed it can adjust and play well, uh, really after that first drive against LSU, uh, is a good sign moving forward. Georgia's got a lot of talent on the offensive side. Uh, they've got a lot of depth. Um, but I do wonder if Georgia has to put the ball in the air because their running game isn't doing whatever it wants like it has in the last few weeks. Um, you know, can, can Auburn, you know, force them into mistakes, uh, you know, kind of keep that from clicking on all cylinders like it has been, or uh, will the will the ultimate talent win out uh, with, with Georgia? And, and so uh, I think when Georgia has the ball on offense, uh, that crowd, that environment, and just the way Auburn's defense is shaping up right now has the potential to give them – a bigger test than really they've gotten since week one against Clemson. 
looking at what this Georgia team likes to do schematically, and you're talking about forcing Georgia into obvious passing down, some third down and long. We kind of joked about this earlier. Has the Georgia offense been brought into the 21st century? For for a while, it kind of seems like it's been living in the past with what they like to do, ground and pound. I mean, they run the ball 62% of the time still, but from what you've seen out of them this year, does it seem like this passing tech has taken a step beyond maybe what we saw with Jake Fromm in years prior? I think if JT Daniels is fully healthy and they have a little bit more uh, health at wide receiver, Yes, um, I think schematically what they what they try to do when they're at full strength uh, is a little bit more of what we've kind of been waiting to see from Georgia. Uh, but you know, Daniels has been banged up. Uh, Stetson Bennett uh, has his strengths as a as a as a quarterback, uh, but uh, not necessarily the most accurate or gifted passer in the world. Um, and stepping in a tough spot, so I think it really depends on you know how healthy this team can be and i, and I don't know what well, i don't know what saturday is going to look like necessarily because if they want to go run heavy against auburn that's kind of playing into auburn's hands um because they have been with the exception of that first half against uh, georgia state when uh when zucobi mcclain was out um auburn's been really great at stopping the run this season so um that's going to be something i'm i'm really interested uh in looking at but yeah i think you know, they've built this up pretty, pretty well, um, you know, to have a lot of success through the air. It's just they can't get everybody healthy, uh, whether it's wide receivers or tight ends. So a lot of absences uh, this season for that group. And then when Daniels isn't out there, uh, it's really kind of limited them from, you know, taking that next step forward from what uh, Daniels was able to show late last season for, for Georgia. When you look at Auburn's offense facing off against this Georgia defense, I feel like that's where a lot of concerns lie for Auburn fans. I feel like if you can get over 20 points in this game, you should be you should feel comfortable about both covering and potentially winning. Where do those offensive points come from for Auburn? Yeah, I think Auburn can't be afraid to throw the ball in this game. Uh, I feel like the teams that have been scared to throw the ball have gotten eaten alive. Um, Arkansas last week was very one-dimensional and paid for it. Vanderbilt's obviously not good at anything, uh, but they you know kept it to the ground. Game UAB didn't throw the ball quite as much, and when they did, it was pretty bad. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, but you look, South Carolina was able to get a little noise late uh, in that game, uh, hitting some big plays downfield. Uh, Clemson tried. I know GJ Lele got hit a ton, and they couldn't run the ball. But um, you know, Georgia, if there is a weakness, and, and I say weakness relatively because. This defense is terrifying from front to back. Um, if there is a weaker spot on the on this defense, it's probably a corner. Um, they've had a couple of big plays get hit on them this year, um, where you know guys are you know not necessarily at their best in one on one coverage. Uh, so Auburn can't Auburn can't be afraid to challenge them. Now, I think the quick game that we saw with Bo Nix against LSU, remember that second quarter where they got back into the game, he was kind of just nickel and diamond and taking what the defense got, gave him, moved up the field. Um, you know, doing that, being able to throw the ball without necessarily opening yourself up for a gigantic pass rush because uh, Georgia's got a lot of that up front. Uh, it's very, very good. I think that's got to be a big uh, thing for them. Um, Auburn's going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to find right ways to run the ball for sure. But I think they showed against LSU last week that when a defense is keying in on you, you can find ways to move the ball through the air and then spring it on, you know, spring the running game in different ways down, you know, d- down towards the end. And that might be kind of a similar strategy they'll have to employ against Georgia. Whereas Georgia's not going to necessarily have to commit as many numbers in the box 
to slow down Auburn's running game because they're so, so talented up front. Um, but I think that's kind of, you know, I think the kind of flow-wise of this game, this might be something um, that, that we see kind of similar. So I think Auburn, the way they handled their business against LSU last week, could give them a good test of, okay, well, we know what to do in this kind of situation. Now let's see if we can do that against arguably one of the best defenses of the last 10 years in college football. It kind of seems like Georgia, what they like to do, feeds into what Auburn likes to do on defense from a schematic standpoint. They don't take a whole lot of deep shots downfield, and they run the football a ton. So, obviously, that's got to bode well for Auburn, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. It's just a matter of can you do it consistently, right? You know, the thing about Georgia, about Georgia's offense, is that they've just got so much talent everywhere. they got so many options, um, you know, that – even though they're dealing with all those injuries at wide receiver and at tight end, they have the depth to kind of just keep ticking, you know, and, and that's something I think uh, you got to keep, keep an eye. But, yeah, if Auburn has a chance of winning this game, I think they've got to play excellent defense from the jump. they got to rattle the quarterback and, you know, make it so that the passing game's not really clicking because um, that plays into their hands. And then, you know, on offense, just do a good job of staying ahead of the chains, working the clock some, and, taking your shots when when they get there and hitting them. I mean, it's just if you kind of play uh, a disciplined ball control kind of game and rely on your defense and that crowd uh, in a big in a big game environment, you might have a chance to, to, to not only be competitive for four quarters, but uh, to maybe even snatch one at home. So, I mean, that's what it's going to take uh, in this game. So it's not impossible. Um, and I think from a, from, a, from a matchup standpoint and a scheme standpoint, uh, there's a lot where you can say, well, it's not like Auburn's going to get blown away here. Uh, I think just the issue is, is that Georgia is one of the two most talented teams in America and might be playing the, better, the best football of anybody in America, especially on defense. I want to talk to you briefly about this Auburn offensive line here. The, they've only given up three sacks this season. They played an LSU team last week going into that ball game that led the SEC in sacks. They were one of the best teams in terms of pass rush, but they did it without blitzing. LSU didn't blitz a whole lot this year. They, on According to Pro Football Focus, they didn't blitz Will Rogers once at Mississippi State, and Auburn held up against that pass rush. Georgia, another team that's not bringing a ton of blitzes, across their opponents up to this point this year they've only had one game where they've blitzed a team more than 30 percent of the time so i'm curious how do you expect this auburn o-line to handle what is another team coming to jordan hare stadium with the number one sack total in the league yeah i think it's like lsu and the fact that they don't blitz because they don't have to right very often they, that's just a talented group you go back to like when Kevin Steele had his best pass rushes at Auburn. It's like, well, if we rush four, we can be fine. And if my four can beat your five, six, or seven, that's how you win a lot of a lot of football on the defensive side. And that's what that's what Georgia's capable of doing. Uh, there aren't very many dudes on the planet that are like Jordan Davis. They, you know, they they've got a lot of talent um, up front. And, and so for Auburn's offensive line, I mean, they just got to you know really just man up and and win some of these matchups. They they have to do a good job of that. I think Bo Nix's escapability, his ability to just refuse to go down and, 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 and keep plays alive is going to be something that Georgia has not faced this season. They have not faced a really good running quarterback yet uh, so far this year. Um, maybe that will help, help that offensive line out some, uh, that you know you have a quarterback that's making heads-up plays and coming off an unreal game in that, in that kind of fashion last week. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the thing with Georgia is, is that, you know, what makes them so good is that defensive front is so big and so athletic 
that they don't have to commit extra numbers, whether it's in run stopping or in pass rushing, to beat you. And so Auburn's offensive line is going to have to make a lot happen in this game. And I think this is also going to be particularly a big game for Auburn's tight ends. Um, they did a really good job um, in helping out with the running game late against LSU. Obviously, we're a big part of the passing game with John Samuel Shanker's big day, Tyler Fromm's touchdown catch. They're going to have to do that again because, uh, you know, this is this is a kind of front that can make you, make you put all hands on deck in terms of trying to deal with them. Before we let you get out of here, do you think this offensive coaching staff is coming around to the idea of Bo Nix running the football more? I think so, and I think, you know, we saw him do it a little bit against Penn State, not as much against Georgia State, but really unleashed it against LSU. You know, it's just let Bo be Bo, and I think there's a, there was kind of a learning process there. Mike Bobo and Ryan Harson haven't had really a ton of running quarterbacks, at least as their number one options in their careers, and so it's a little bit of a learning game where, uh, you know, you just kind of, all right, let's see, let's see how it works and adjust and, and move from there. So I think the designed rollouts we saw against, LSU are going to have to be big in this game. Uh, Bo looks, you know, Bo was pretty comfortable rolling out uh, and, and and throwing on the run. Um, you know, just let him get in his groove. You know, kind of let him let him do some of the stuff that made him a five star quarterback uh, coming out of high school. And so, yeah, I, I do think they're getting more used to it. It's just a real learning uh, kind of back and forth. Uh, you know, less than a half of a season into your first uh, year with it with a, with a team. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of knowledge to be gained from these games, um, so yeah, I do think that's something that they're going to probably lean on a little bit more moving forward, and uh, well, you know, we'll see how much of that impacts uh, this game on Saturday. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Uh, Six dollars a month, sixty dollars a year to sign up for the newsletter. Get all of our podcasts as well. Got a big preview episode coming out tomorrow morning on the Auburn-Georgia game uh, that you're going to want to check out. Mailbag on Friday. A lot of good stuff. So auburnobserver.com. Uh, sign up there. Everything we do gets sent to your email inbox. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a great afternoon. Yeah, I appreciate it, y'all. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us for the Wednesday edition of the show. When we come back, we continue along with more of Report Wednesday, still taking a deep dive into this Georgia passing attack That's been pretty efficient up to this point, but I still have questions about how good it really is. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open for the rest of the show. Big thank you there to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in our previous segment, if you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Just search on the line, find it, subscribe, leave a review. We'd love to have you there. Listen to us on demand once again on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Still going along a report Wednesday. We have a lot left to cover here, a lot more information to cover on the Georgia Bulldogs, which the more and more that I look at this team, and I said this last week about LSU, the more and more that I dig into this matchup, the better I feel about it being a very competitive ball game here on Saturday. 
And I think Auburn, like you mentioned, they match up well defensively with what Georgia wants to do offensively. It's just the question of whether or not, you know, Auburn's going to be able to establish that line of scrimmage because Georgia, again, like we started off the show, they've been able to kind of control games through the trenches, both offensively and defensively. Auburn's defensive line, they've played great so far when it comes to actually stopping the run. But in terms of pass rush, they've not been phenomenal. Have they been have they been there? Sure, but it's not been over-the-top, really impressive, LSU-Georgia-level type, right? Without TD Moultrie this this uh, this weekend as well, it also is, is a concern for me of whether or not Auburn's going to be able to consistently get after Stetson Bennett. But, of course, also on the flip side, you talk about Auburn's strengths defensively against Georgia's offense. You know, if they do stop the run, it'll set Stetson or Daniels up in a third and medium, third and long situation. At that point... Strop nine back in coverage like he did at the end of the LSU game. You do what you did against LSU, and, and, you, and you make Stetson Bennett beat you with his arm. And that very possibly could be the quarterback that Auburn is facing on Saturday as JT Daniels. And we'll have an update for you about JT Daniels at the start of hour number two as Kirby Smart gave an update on his injury report yesterday. We'll let you know about that at the start of hour number two with our making headlines segment so stay tuned for that but take a look at this georgia passing attack still me and you were mentioning that they're short to intermediate depth they really don't take a whole lot of shot plays downfield heavy play action influence on this offense they want to establish the run and then they want those linebackers to bite and then they're going to hit you over the top of their leading receiver who happens to be a tight end and he's not the tight end that anybody expected it to be it's not eric gilbert it's not darnell washington it's bowers I don't even know who this guy was. It's a testament to the depth on this Georgia football team. Extremely talented. Brock Bowers, like you mentioned, the leading receiver, 272 receiving yards, four touchdowns, 18 catches, averages 12 yards per reception, uh, or I'm sorry, 15.1 yards per reception. He, uh, he, he's been a stud this season. Let's talk about pressure, though. Let's talk about how these quarterbacks handle pressure. And Auburn's faced some quarterbacks this year that don't really handle pressure well. You expect to see quarterbacks drop off the face of the earth once pressure comes. But let's take a look at how Georgia handles it. JT Daniels only faced pressure on 9 of 75 dropbacks when he's been healthy this year. He was sacked twice and he went 3 for 7 with 25 yards, 1 touchdown, and 1 interception, according to Pro Football Focus. So on the one hand, that's negative that he hasn't faced pressure hardly at all this year. But on the other hand, when he has faced pressure, this is positive for Auburn, it does affect him. He hasn't been nearly as effective because he can't use his legs to extend the play. He is a statue. This is your old-fashioned six-foot-five guy who's not going to be able to move around a whole lot. But when he's got time to throw, he's going to be able to dissect you like a surgeon. You move on to Stetson Bennett here, who does have a little bit more a little bit more that you would like about his legs and being able to extend plays. He is a little bit more athletic, yeah. Stetson Bennett has faced pressure on 10 of 47 dropbacks, so almost a fifth of a time, actually more than that. He was sacked once, and he went one for six with 61 yards, a touchdown, and interception. So neither of these quarterbacks have been great. Stetson Bennett has actually been pretty bad against pressure, one for six once again. He just had one big play downfield, I guess. The, the one completion there for 61 yards and a touchdown, but he's also had an interception and five incompletions and also a sack there. These quarterbacks don't handle the pressure very well. The question is, can you get there? And that's what you were just asking about. Exactly. And again, without T.D. Moultrie this weekend, I'm not saying that T.D. Moultrie is the only guy that can get after the quarterback, right? We saw it with Derek Hall. We yeah, saw he had it with a big Colby game Wooden. on Saturday. But without that extra guy, you're going to need all the depth you can get 
for a, a for an opponent like Georgia, right? This is a potential playoff team that you're going up against at home on Saturday. You've got to have everybody locked and loaded in order to actually get after the quarterback. And on the flip side, they also do things to get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback quickly. Once again, I go back to 30 per, 32% of the time, Georgia is throwing a screen pass. 32% of their passes are screens. It's almost a third of the time. Whether it's a wide receiver screen or it's getting these running backs involved because Kenny McIntosh has like eight catches this year for like 90 yards or something like that. They get the running backs involved in the passing game more than what we've seen this year up to this point. So Auburn's going to have their hands full getting pressure on these QBs. But if they can, I think there could be a light at the end of the tunnel on Saturday that could see us all at Toomer's Corner. We'll talk about that more. Hour number two coming up. are on the line live on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm in birmingham and silicaga and in auburn on espn 1067 or online on fox sports 983.com and espnau.com you are on the line with noah gardner and lance daw join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500 back on on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you on espn 106.7 and fox sports central alabama start hour number two here lance fun show today tell everybody what we've gone through and uh what's coming up here in hour number two well we got through our report wednesday and i'm sure we're going to continue to talk about the georgia auburn matchup throughout the second hour of the show but we got through a report wednesday what we expect to see from georgia schematically on saturday what some of georgia's strengths are what some of their weaknesses are how auburn matches up with those strengths and weaknesses we got to speak with justin ferguson of the auburn observer who uh who just uh took a shot at vandy while they were down i love that <laughs> in that in that interview that was entertaining they don't do anything well they don't do anything well man they just don't I thought that was awesome. Uh, but yeah, in this second hour, we're going to have making headlines. We're going to be talking about some some games that are happening this Saturday, some AP Top 25 matchups that we find intriguing, what teams in the Top 25 could lose. Got a good second hour ahead of us. That's right. If you missed any of the show so far, go and find our podcast on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Let's start off hour number two, as we promised in our previous segment, making headlines our daily segment that we do where we take a look at the headlines going around sports right now whether it be college professional what maybe is interesting to folks out there and we'll start with Auburn's opponent for this weekend Georgia quarterback JT Daniels according to head coach Kirby Smart yesterday said he did some soft toss on Tuesday's practice he didn't throw on Monday's practice he's still day-to-day for Saturday's ball game and it's difficult whenever you're in a situation like this if you're the opponent. Like, look at, looking at Auburn, what they're trying to game plan for, it's difficult because you don't know which quarterback's going to step out there on Saturday. But as we broke down in the first hour, both are very similar statistically in what they like to do. Now, are they slightly different in terms of the way that they like to operate, the way they like to play? Sure, but this this scheme has not really asked them to do a whole lot that differentiates from quarterback to quarterback. They've still kind of gone from that short to intermediate game in the passing game. They've really tried to run the ball a lot this season. If Daniels plays this Saturday, I have concerns because he can stretch the field with his arm. But if he's injured, if he's not 100%, if he's not 100% on Tuesday, I doubt he's going to be ready to throw 50-yard bombs on Saturday. So moving down the line, I think Auburn should be just fine, even though on the surface it seems like this is a difficult thing to prepare for. 
And JT Daniels did average over 300 yards per game last year for Georgia across their last four games, but think about the point totals that Georgia was putting up in some of those games against the decent defenses they were playing against. They struggled against Mississippi State last year. I think that final score was 31-24. Was yes. that the final score? Yes. Struggled. They needed a late score. That's not a great that's not a great look for that offense, right? But granted, I think that was the first game that JT Daniels had started for Georgia. So they move on from there. They beat up on some bad teams at the end of the year. Then they play Cincinnati in the bowl game. They only scored 24 points there. And Cincinnati's defense is good, but is it Alabama good? Is it Auburn good? Is it is it best in the SEC? Is it the best teams in the SEC caliber? And I would say no. No, it is not. Then you look at Georgia this year. They play Clemson out the gates. That's a great defense. They scored three offensive points. Since then, what do those defenses look like that they've played? Not amazing. Not very good. And and I think it's a great way to assess this football team, right? If we, like, like we've said before on the show, or at least I've said, if you're just trying to gauge everything on what's happened in the past – if that's the way college football worked and you were betting on it, everybody be, would be making a lot of money. But you also have to kind of gauge what's gone on this year. It's great to mix that together to say, okay, what happened last year? Look at the players that have come back. What are they doing to improve this year? And like you just mentioned, offensively, they've not really hit their ceiling, I don't think, yet. But I, the injuries are holding them back. And right now, they're just not clicking on all cylinders in terms of putting it in the end zone. Moving on to our second headline now, SEC West rival LSU. Their quarterback, Derek Stingley, had an operation on his foot, which will sideline him indefinitely for the Bayou Bengals. I think this could be a concern for them on Saturday matchup-wise because you look at Wandale Robinson, and while that passing game for Kentucky is only averaging just a little over 200 yards per game, they like to throw to Wandale a lot. If you're not going to be able to have that lockdown corner in your arsenal to kind of shut that number one guy down, you could be experiencing a lot of issues on the back end. Now, I know Cordell Flott, he's come into his own. He's been playing well recently. I just don't know if they're going to be able to stop Wondale Robinson this weekend without a guy like Stingley on the field. And they do still have Eli Ricks, but I get what you're saying because there are two guys. Like, Kentucky's got wide receivers. It's the quarterback. That, would you would you believe it? It's the quarterback that's the problem at Kentucky, Lance. Where, where have we seen this before? Hmm. <laughs> I've seen this a few times. Would you believe it? It's wild, ain't it? <laughs> I wonder if they would still win eight games with Wandell Robinson at quarterback. Have we seen that before, too? Yeah, yeah, we have. Lynn Bowden, you know? Just go ahead and put him at, put him at Wildcat. Literally, I love how it's the Wildcats running the Wildcat, and they have the most success doing it. With that being said, though, and they're kind of the ones that invented it, invented it, if you think about it. I know you were very young at this time, but you look back, Randall Cobb did it. Yes, yep. Yeah, you were young back then, man. Good times, good times. <laughs> Um, still looking at that Kentucky team though I think the passing attack is better though wouldn't you agree than what we've seen yes I think it is and that's something that we were talking about this offseason I believe we touched on it a lot at SEC media days is they need a game manager they don't need somebody that can go out there and throw for 300 yards a game they just need somebody that doesn't cost them the game and is able to deliver on those short to intermediate routes right and they've been able to do that. They've established the ground game. It's not going fantastic, even though Chris Rodriguez is leading the SEC. They still aren't averaging over 200 yards rushing a game. But still, they put themselves in a position where they don't have to do a lot of things offensively that are just explosive. I think they're just getting by by the skin of their teeth right now, and they're just gritty. Sticking in the SEC East, rival of Kentucky. See how I've just kind of linked all this together? Rival of Kentucky, Tennessee. Oh, I am pumped about this. I don't know how many folks in here saw these jerseys that they're whipping out for the South Carolina game on Saturday, 
but they are wearing black uniforms again. They're calling it dark mode. The last time that I've seen Tennessee wear jerseys that like this, but they were in an NCAA football video game, 2012. So it would have been like two, circa 2011. I feel like the last time we've seen Tennessee wear black. This is so much better than the charcoal. Tennessee's whipping out black uniforms on Saturday against South Carolina. And boy, these are the best uniforms I've seen this year. I said it on the show before, and I know it sounds weird. Remember when we did our uh, jersey polls, like for all the different jerseys yeah. in the SEC? This I said, bumps them up. I said that the charcoal grays kind of look like it's like what cardboard feels like. It's just so bland yeah. and uninteresting. With this, it's a it's a step step above that, like way above that. These jerseys are clean. The black looks good. Now, that's the, something I was telling Sting is like I would love to see them go with a black helmet to see what that looks like with the black all around. But overall, the jersey looks great to me. It does, and they did add black to the helmet. It's a black outline over the T on it. Oh man, these are next level. These are like those Missouri uniforms that are are the, are they black or are they you know what you know which Missouri uniforms yeah. I'm talking about they look really good mm-hmm. the black ones with the white pants and then the white helmet those are fire yes. these are these are in that same kind of vein intern Belichick wants to weigh in on Tennessee's uniforms that they are that they're wearing this weekend do y'all want to know a fun fact about the last head coach when Tennessee wore black was it Derek Dooley it would be Derek Dooley right Lane Kiffin oh interesting didn't they wear it against georgia you don't remember i don't believe so okay well maybe they just left it in the video game for a lot longer than when lane kiffin was there because lane kiffin wasn't there in 2010 or not 2010 2000 he wasn't there in 2010 either but he wasn't there in 2011 last time he was there i think was 2009 and then Dooley took over for three long years in knoxville (laughs) feel bad for that guy feels bad man i like tennessee and that catches a lot of hate but here's my perspective on this the enemy of my enemy is my friend and wouldn't auburn fans want tennessee to be good i know it's kind of fun to laugh at some teams in the sec and i get the whole not wanting to root for the entire conference because i don't root for the entire conference because they're my rivals i want auburn to be the i would want auburn to be the best team in the league right why would i root for someone else to be successful just because they're playing someone in the big 12 but i go back to Tennessee's the enemy of my the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Their biggest rivals are Alabama and Georgia. Wouldn't we all want Tennessee to be good so that they challenge those teams on a consistent basis and give them a more difficult schedule? Because Auburn's got to play Alabama and Georgia every year. Alabama's got to play Tennessee and Auburn, right? And it's like Auburn's a tough enough opponent for them, but if Tennessee could get there, it significantly makes their schedule more difficult. And it makes Georgia's schedule more difficult as well. If Auburn is playing Tennessee, I'm not I'm not pulling for them. When Tennessee is just kind of playing in general, I'm just I'm just kind of neutral on them. When they play Alabama, I'm pulling for them. When they play Georgia, I'm pulling for them. But outside of that, I'm just kind of neutral. It's going to be shame whenever Tennessee covers against Alabama later this year and it's like a seven-point win for Alabama and everybody's just going to look and be like, what the heck is going on? And I also get the fact that there used to be a rivalry there between Auburn and Tennessee, and I understand that when Tennessee was really good, that affected recruiting a lot. Like Philip Fulmer had a big, heavy influence on recruiting in this area of the country. I get that, but it also made. I also think it hurts Alabama and Georgia a lot and brings the the playing field down a little bit more level. And guess who was one of the best teams in the SEC during that stretch when Tennessee was still good? Auburn was right, and Alabama and Georgia. Georgia was good. Georgia was better than Alabama, but Alabama was experiencing one of their worst, one of their worst stretches of football history right 
And I'm not saying that that's directly related to Tennessee, but I do think that it helps if Tennessee is better. And I understand there used to be a rivalry there. I understand Auburn fans, it doesn't taste too well that they lost to Tennessee a couple years ago on their home field. But all in all, I always really enjoy when Auburn and Tennessee play because I, I tend to favor, obviously Auburn first, but I would tend to favor Tennessee outside of when they're playing Auburn. Let me tell you whenever I enjoy playing Tennessee in basketball because they that's a different story i'll be honest not beaten us in so long the passion that i have for that matchup is unmatched i absolutely love it whenever we play tennessee because man man oh man do i love beating them stings over here in the studio doing fear the thumb so (laughs) i love that game so much moving to our next headline here on our making headlines segment Fourth headline here, Stephon Gilmore has been traded from the Patriots to the Panthers for a sixth-round pick. If you got up this morning, you would have saw news probably around 10 a.m. or so, maybe even earlier than that, that said that Stephon Gilmore was going to be released by the Patriots. It looks like the Carolina Panthers jumped the line in free agency and said, we don't want to give this guy a shot to sign somewhere else. We don't want to have to get into like a bidding war for him with other teams. Let's just try and offer something, see if the Patriots will take it. This was a way for the Patriots to get something, but it still sounds wild to me that the Patriots traded Stephon Gilmore for a sixth-round pick. I get why. This is this is the demand of it, right? But like, did the, my question is, did the Patriots create this situation for themselves by saying that they were going to release him? Would his stock have been higher had they just shopped him around? Probably. Probably, and we, we've known Bill Belichick to do things like that in the past, where he's gotten more value in his in his trades than what he was actually giving away. In this situation, we didn't necessarily see that. Is Stephon Gilmore that washed to where he's worth no, a six-round pick? I he's don't not. think so. He's so. still a very good cornerback. He's been dealing with some injuries this year. That's why it's crazy for me to see sixth-round pick for Stephon Gilmore. But this is a huge pickup for the Panthers, basically getting this guy for free. Brady and I were talking about it earlier before the show came on. It's like if they can just get a couple of offensive linemen, this team could be a playoff team. I think they're already – look, they played the Cowboys really tough this past weekend. Now, it it got out of hand about midway through, and then they came back. But I think the Cowboys are a very good football team. And they played the Cowboys tough. There's no reason why the Panthers can't get better. And I'll just go ahead and say this, guys. I just picked up Sam Darnold on my fantasy team and dropped Jameis Winston. Justin Herbert's my starter consistently, but I dropped Jameis because they are not opening up that offense. And if you want to break down the quarterback rankings in that division right now, at the top of it, it is Tom Brady, of course. But after Tom, after touchdown Tommy, after him, you honestly could make a really good argument for Sam Darnold with the way he's playing right now. How do you feel about the way Justin's playing right now? Justin Herbert, MVP level? Uh, let's just say I feel like, and people out there that you know take fantasy really seriously, I get this. I'm just holding on. I, I didn't start a single Charger player this weekend for this weekend. You know why I'm not start, starting a single Charger player this weekend? Why not? They're playing my Cleveland Browns. Uh, I, I can't take that. I can't take that. But also on top of this, the Browns defense is nasty, guys. It's nasty. It's top five right now, I think, statistically in yards allowed per game in the NFL. The Vikings have a good offense, and they held them to seven points. And Kirk Cousins was tearing up the NFL going into that ball game. And the Browns, the, the defense won the Browns the ball game. Baker Mayfield didn't look good. The Browns didn't look good on offense, which the Browns have been a good offensive team this year. The script has flipped completely. This defense is incredible. So I do think to a degree, Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen and company, I do think they will be limited. So it was partially a smart decision, I think, from a statistical standpoint. 
I think I'm, I am starting Sam Darnold against the Philadelphia Eagles, and then I, I brought in some other guys into the flex to move out Mike Williams. But the Chargers are a good football team. I'm holding on to hope that the Browns can, can pull it out. But the Chargers are very good, and early on, these are two teams that I think are early contenders for an AFC championship, for an AFC championship game. You got to have the offense. Got to have it going, though. The Browns have Yeah, not Baker been. can't play the way that he played this past weekend. Yeah, Mayfield's not been playing fantastic. And he was looking so good after the first couple of weeks of the season. He had like an 80% completion percentage going into like week three or week four. That that changed a little bit. It didn't look good last week. Last headline here, speaking of quarterbacks, Matt Nagy of the Chicago Bears sticking with Justin Fields as the starting quarterback. And after you get to see the situation, you get to see a few games, you realize that, yes, Chicago can ruin any quarterback that comes through their doors. And I hate this for Justin Fields. I really like the kid. I like him as a player, like him as a person. I want him to succeed. I just don't know if he's going to be able to do it long-term in Chicago. I, I really hope they don't hurt this kid or injure or, or ruin him to a point where he couldn't make a comeback in the NFL. This is very similar to what happened with Sam, Sam Darnold. I'm hoping somebody takes him. I'm hoping he's able to leave before this, this organization ruins him. Well, you know, there's a lot more responsibility on his shoulders now that David Montgomery is going to be out for four to five weeks yeah. with a hyperextended knee, sprained it. And the thing is, the Bears had a nice... They had a nice lead against the Lions for different intervals, but the Lions kept kind of coming back a little bit in that ball game last weekend. Bears were still able to get the victory, twenty-four to fourteen. Justin Fields. Let's see, I'm trying to pull up his box score to put this in perspective. Though David Montgomery had twenty-three carries for 106 yards and two touchdowns. That's now gone. So they lose what is the heart of this offense, which is the rushing attack. Justin Fields was 11 for 17, no touchdowns, one interception, 209 yards. Sacked one time for 24 yards. They're just not letting him throw the ball a lot, and they didn't allow him to throw the ball a whole lot against the Browns a couple of weeks ago. You wonder how this offense is going to open up for Justin Fields if it does, because if it doesn't, this year could be a wash for the bears and they're two and two right now there's still opportunity for them to make the playoffs made the playoffs last year as a 500 football team the offense doesn't open up for anybody and i'm afraid that if justin field's talent just doesn't simply win out in that situation i'm afraid that it could ruin him long term let's take a quick break here when we come back we get back to report wednesday taking a look at this georgia defense as well as their strengths and weaknesses we talk about how auburn matches up with these bulldogs when we come back Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Lance, it's time to break down the Georgia defense. Take me through it. And they have been impressive in just about every major statistical category that you can find. Like we mentioned earlier in the show, I believe Georgia only allows 68 rushing yards per game. 110 passing yards per game, a little under five points per game. Those all, I believe, are points per game and rushing yards per game, at least I know for a fact, lead the nation. They are absolutely dominant. I was just looking here on SEC StatCat during the break. Their opponent's yards per drive. Georgia gives up 15 yards on average per opponent drive. The next closest team in the SEC is double that at 30.6. They are incredibly dominant on the defensive side of the ball. 
in, at, at essentially every single phase, right? You look at the secondary, they've got talented players there. Clemson transfer, I believe it's Darian Kendrick. He's been playing well this season. Uh, they've got players at, at the linebacker spot, guys like N'Kobe Dean that are playing special. phenomenally this season. He teleports into the backfield. He's a he's a gifted athlete. And then you've got guys like Jordan Davis on the defensive line. And you've, you've brought, if you're listening, if you listen to talk radio, if you watch – uh, SEC Network, you've probably heard this a lot, a human being like that, that big should not be able to move that quickly. It just does not seem physically possible. He teleports. He teleports. This whole defense, it's, it, they, get, they just teleport to the football. They've scored three defensive touchdowns this season. They've allowed one offensive touchdown. This team knows how to play defense. They've shut out their last two opponents. Someone has not touched the end zone in at least eight quarters against Georgia. Hot take. At least. It may be more than that. Auburn's not getting shut out this weekend. <laughs> they are not getting shut out. Oh, of course not. I don't think that that's happening either. No, but you say their last two opponents, and they kind of like oh, they, yeah, they're yeah, building yeah, up yeah. steam. They're not going to do it a third week in a row. Yeah, this is not a conveyor belt of Shut shutouts. Out. <laughs> yeah. is, Georgia's not building an assembly line out of the broken parts of opposing SEC teams that they've disassembled, and Auburn's not joining that list this week. I don't believe it. They allow less than one opponent first drive per per possession. Uh, they allow less than less than half of one actually their three and out percentage forced is 65 percent the next closest in the sec is 37.5 like i mentioned they've only allowed one touchdown this season they've just been dominant they've been dominant in every major statistical category and then you get into the details and they're still incredibly dominant but i also think the offenses that they've played you could categorize as inept like vanderbilt south carolina arkansas's not but they're so one-dimensional that that would lead you to – you can't be one-dimensional against Georgia because then you get disassembled. Like I mentioned earlier, the the average total yards per game for Georgia's opponents, it averages out to be 82nd nationally in FBS. They're not – they're not like you mentioned, they're, they're like inept. The, the best offenses that, that they've played – Arkansas's gotten an above-average offense in my mind. Arkansas's 29th nationally. And I think even though some of those numbers are skewed too from playing a bad Texas defense and a Texas team that didn't know what to do on offense, hadn't established an identity. Outside of that, I mean, what have they have they they've played Rice, they've played Georgia Southern. Does it balance out after you play a team like Georgia? Yeah, I, I guess it should. Yeah, so yeah, maybe, maybe they're not. Maybe maybe you should should still categorize that as a good offense. But outside of that, I mean, still though, I understand what you're saying. Like Texas was not was not clicking, and A and M. Because of their woes on offense, it allows their defense to be put in a lot of bad situations. And I'm just saying what like we've Rice. seen from Arkansas is more – what we've seen from Arkansas, what is the true Arkansas, I believe to be the 20-point team – that the team that put up 20 on A&M. That's what I believe Arkansas is. It's about a 24, 24 to 28-point performance against most SEC defenses. How many points would they put up on Auburn right now? Well, we get to find out in two weeks. But I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, next week we will. I'll be honest. I think it's somewhere in that same ballpark of 20, 24 points like they put up on A&M. A&M's got a good defense, and they only put up 20 on them. You know, I think that's where you're living at because then they got shut out by Georgia. You know, I, I'm trying to exclude the games against the teams that kind of are irrelevant. We're in SEC play. Let's take a look at the, the most recent games that they've played, and you've gotten 20 points in their last two games. I think they kind of live in that ballpark against most of the good defenses in the SEC is, is around that 20 to 24 point range, maybe a little bit more than that. I still am not sold on this Arkansas team, but that that's a story for a different day. We're talking about Georgia right now. We'll talk about Arkansas later on this show and, and later on this week, but 
This Georgia defense, 3-4 look. That's what you're going to see schematically from these guys. Believe it or not, they are 61st in the country in tackles for loss per game. They're not getting a whole lot in the running game. They're not getting into the backfield a ton in the rushing attack. But 3-4 defenses don't really do that, which is Auburn's kind of an enigma here with what they've done up front in creating so many tackles for loss because guess who is in the top five in the country in tackles for loss per game? Auburn. Auburn. Wow. I would If you had asked me, I wouldn't have been able to guess. Auburn is in the top five in tackles for loss per game in the country. And 3-4 defenses, the defensive line is about holding the point of attack and letting these linebackers get downhill and make plays in the gaps. And Georgia's linebackers, they play downhill. They play great. This is a better pass rushing team than they are, I would say, in getting tackles for loss in the run game because they're seventh in the country in sacks. They are 61st in tackles for loss. That's a, that's a big difference. And again, I just don't know how that matches up with Auburn, right? Because if they're able to throw a little bit, force Georgia to take a couple of guys out of the box, Jarquez Hunter currently leads the nation in yards per attempt. You would think that Auburn's offense, if it finds rhythm early, could have some success. Or get to the second level, you know, just just get a push, anything, you know, just stay ahead of the chains. Once again, it does come back to you're going to have to be able to throw the football but and, I, and I'll get this for you. Team tackles for loss right here, going back to what Auburn's doing. They're second in the country. Second in the country. 45 total tackles for loss this year. Dang. Auburn is. Dang. One behind Troy. That is 46. Had a boy, Troy. West Virginia's tied with Auburn. LSU is fifth. And Tennessee is seventh, believe it or not. Interesting. Interesting. Tennessee actually playing some defense, refreshing to see. <laughs> but with this Georgia team, like you mentioned, it's a 3-4 front, and it's been incredibly dominant, and I think that's something that Auburn fans have been a little frustrated with. It's like, do we just not have the athletes to run Derek Mason's 3-4? I, I don't know the answer to that yet. I think we're going to have to see a full season, uh, a full product from, from this uh, from this first-year defensive coordinator to really tell whether or not that's the truth. But let me tell you who does have the athletes up front to run a 3-4 well. Georgia does. And... and- they do exactly what they're looking to do the tackles for loss per game for georgia being at 61 i I, that that's not nearly as good as what auburn's doing but they still hold the point of attack well they still limit what you're doing up front as evidenced by yards per carry totals georgia doesn't let you run the ball and i'm just saying they're not getting a whole lot of negative plays when teams are running the ball i think there is a little bit of a push happening up front there but not much not much it's going to be about being able to throw this football and get some of those guys out of the tackle box try and spread this georgia team out a little bit they don't blitz a ton either you would, have, you would think that they would because when I think of Georgia defenses, I, I think aggression, I think mean, I think ferocious. These linebackers play downhill naturally, but they really don't blitz a whole lot. They've only blitzed one team this year around 30% of the time. Last year, they were in the 50s, 60s in the country in blitz percentage according to Pro Football Focus. They, they don't come after the quarterback a whole lot, but as Justin Ferguson said earlier, they don't really have to. They've got three four guys that can beat your five or six up front and they still are number one of the sec in sacks per game yeah and like you mentioned you know 61st in tackles for loss and you know they're they're number one in a bunch of other major statistical categories let me tell you something else they're number one in wasted talent because where are the rings where are the rings georgia you've not had one since 1980 don't come at me all these people on twitter man i've not it's it's different from penn state where did man. this come from it's different this i feel week, like i just got sucker punched in the face let me tell you something man i like to sit back on twitter i don't get into twitter beef i just like to watch it unfold against penn state i was like i can take this this is this is entertaining with georgia people it's 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 like 
there's there's just a deep rooted hatred there for me, and I just I cannot stand it. It's like the, I see so many different people. It's like Auburn's an FCS school. Like they should go to the FCS, bro. You haven't won a championship since 1980. Shut up, shut up. I'm sorry, but I just I I can't. I hate. Georgia. I don't know where this came from. I almost I feel hate like I Georgia. Just got sucker punched. I almost hate Georgia more than Alabama. I just the fan base just irritates me to no end. I'm sorry. Professionalism to the wind. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun fact out there, everybody. UConn and UMass play this weekend. And you may not care about that, and that's fine. I don't really care about it. I'm not going to watch it. Those are the two worst teams in FBS football. They're they're not good. Both winless at this point. Both getting annihilated on a week-to-week basis. It's a, it is a downright travesty that Vanderbilt, an SEC team, could only win that game by two. Had to kick a game-winning field goal to do it. But the fun fact here is UConn-UMass is a rivalry game that is taking place this weekend to pretty much effectively decide who is the worst team in college football. That happens this weekend. Believe it or not, 74 total meetings between these two teams. I can't believe this because UConn came to the FBS faster than UMass did. UConn trails in the all-time series to UMass 37 to 35 with two ties thrown in there too. Who would you pick? What? Who would you pick to win this weekend? I don't know. I mean, the fact that UConn hung with an, at least an SEC team if we can even call Vanderbilt that right now on the football field, but I I think UConn gets their win against UMass. I think they get it. I think they do. Yeah, UMass has been so bad this season that after seeing the way that UConn, like you just mentioned, was able to hold on against Vanderbilt, I'll take UConn to win. UConn has won, let's see, one, two, three, four, five of the last seven matchups. Oh, there you go. There you go. As they should, considering they are an FBS program. But let's see how it turns out for the Minutemen. Maybe they can find a way to shock them. Last, uh, two years ago, UConn beat them 56-35. to 35. So there's some useless football knowledge for folks out there. Somehow UMass leads a football series with an FBS program after how terrible they have been in the FBS since they've come to that level of football. Going back to our report Wednesday, information that is not useless for you football fans out there looking to the Deep South Soldiers rivalry this Saturday. We've been breaking down what we expect to see from Georgia schematically, passing game, running game, as well as their defense. Now it's time to go to strengths and weaknesses and an official evaluation from you and I, Lance, about how Auburn matches up with Georgia. I'll say this. At this point, I don't think you can really peg anything as a weakness. I don't think there are any weaknesses on this Georgia team. I think there are only questions. Also don't think that there are across the board all strengths for Georgia, though. I think that they're a team that you can't really pinpoint any weaknesses. They're a very good football team. They are. And they have several strengths. There aren't really any weaknesses, but I have questions. And are they potential areas that Auburn could exploit? That that is my that is my evaluation of what I've seen from this Georgia team up to this point. But let's get into it. Name a strength for UGA. I think a strength uh, of Georgia's is that defensive line. It's been it's been pretty darn good this season. They've held opponents. That's an understatement. They've they've held opponents to essentially nothing, and they've been able to get after the quarterback a little bit. I think this defensive line might be the best in the nation. I think that's it. It would be an interesting argument to find another team that is better than Georgia right now. Uh, but that defensive line strength one hundred percent. 
I'm going to go secondary. I've been really impressed in, in this secondary that PFF's preview magazine, so Pro Football Focus has a digital preview magazine every year. This is what they call Georgia's biggest weakness going into this season. They said, the cornerback unit is as raw as sushi. A lot of promise, but unproven talent. I have seen some really good defensive back play from Georgia up to this point this year, but have they been challenged by truly any good quarterbacks at this point? Have they been challenged by any quarterbacks that possess good passing ability? And I would say no. DJ Ungalele is probably the best passing quarterback they have faced up to this point. I think that KJ Jefferson's fine. I mean, they're, they're comparable, right? And they both haven't been great when they've been needing to throw the football. So Georgia has not faced any great quarterbacks up to this point maybe you would even say Tyler Johnston at UAB may be the best passing quarterback they've faced at this point and he just didn't have a whole lot of help around him but still they have not been challenged by a great arm yet and not saying that Bo Nix is a great quarterback but I do think that he has a much better arm and a much better potential to be able to have a good passing game than the likes of the other teams that Georgia has played at this point so they haven't been challenged a whole lot but this is the stat line for the Georgia secondary and it's just as jarring as everything else opposing QBs have a 48% completion percentage for just 110 yards per game one touchdown and seven interceptions yikes man that is that is absolutely brutal and and it's uh again Georgia is not not they've only allowed one offensive touchdown this season I think Auburn gets one this Saturday but they're gonna have to be able to do it they're gonna have to be able to move the ball down the field in more in more ways than one they're gonna have to be able to test that secondary a little bit they run a lot of man-to-man coverage as well but those guys haven't had to cover for long because as you pointed out that defensive line is is definitely a strength for them right also think this offensive line is a strength from a pass blocking standpoint they're going to be able to give Stetson Bennett and or JT Daniels significant amount of time to throw but they've also been able to get the ball out of their hands quickly by virtue of the way that the scheme is oriented they've got 32 percent of their passes or screens so there's not been a whole lot of pressure on this defensive line or this offensive line either but they have only given up two sacks i have to say that they are a pretty good pass protecting O line and like you mentioned you know they've tried to run the ball a lot this season 4.8 yards per carry is good but it's not fantastic which is where I get to questions about this Georgia football team. Not things that I'm pegging as weaknesses because I really don't think there's a whole lot of weaknesses here, but questions about this Georgia team that maybe Auburn could exploit. And here's where I'll go. I'll say run blocking is one of those areas. This has been consistently, according to Pro Football Focus, their lowest graded unit every single week. This season they have yet to put a Pro Football Focus grade in run blocking higher than 70 and they have not played great defenses up to this point as you and I pointed out they just haven't and so that is their lowest graded unit on PFF now take that for what you will I know some people put more stock into it than others I just kind of use it as I look at it and say okay that gives me a broad overview of what I of what I can expect from this team I'm not gonna you know live by it or anything like that I'm not gonna sit here and and say that that's the be-all end-all but I still go back to I'm not sure if they are a great run blocking offensive line because they are just averaging 4.8 yards per carry. They didn't just blow the doors off of UAB and South Carolina and Vanderbilt from a rushing perspective. As a team, you expect Georgia to do what they did to those teams and how physical this team is up front. But now they're playing another team that I think can, to a degree, match their physicality, at least at home, if they can punch above their weight class up front. Because Georgia is next level. From from a physical standpoint, Georgia is next level. From a talent standpoint, they are next level. 
but I don't think Auburn is so far submerged underneath them in that way that they couldn't rise to the occasion and hit them in the mouth because it's not like they ran all over Auburn two years ago you know and and even last year Georgia only put up 27 points on Auburn so I think from that standpoint Auburn should be able to limit Georgia to somewhere around four yards per carry maybe less I will say the the run blocking is definitely a question for me. I'll say this quarterback position as well is definitely going to be a question for me, whether or not JT Daniels plays or not, whether or not Stetson Bennett, if he does play, is able to shoulder the load. I said passing game. If if JT Daniels, sure, I think that's a better way to phrase it. If he plays, he's not going to be 100%. At least I don't believe he's going to be. And if Stetson Bennett plays, like we mentioned earlier, take a look at his game logs, he's not played in a 100% capacity road environment in, in, in such a hostile situation as he's going to face against Auburn this weekend, potentially if he starts. They don't let him air the football out. No, and they, they don't let him do that either. And so while he may be a little bit more mobile, sure, if Auburn's pass rush doesn't get there, he may be able to extend some plays. I doubt it. In this environment, I think it may rattle him a little bit. They don't stretch the field a whole lot. They've only thrown 10 balls this year beyond 20 yards down the field. That, that, that's how far they've thrown the ball. That's how many times they've taken shot plays. That's two per game, guys. They're, they're, not, taking, they're not throwing this ball down the field. I mean, there, there might be more similarities to the Wisconsin offense. You know, They're a lot better than that, but I'm talking about scheme-wise. They keep this thing on the ground, and they keep this in intermediate and short intervals when they're throwing the football. They're not taking a lot of shots. That condenses the field a little bit for Auburn. That, that plays, in my opinion, straight into the defensive strength for Auburn. They, they don't want to give up big plays. That's why, that's why they run a heavy zone scheme. And, and for the most part, Auburn hasn't given up a ton of big plays this year. They've kept it in front of them. They did that really well in the LSU game, aside from the one touchdown they gave up to Boutte, which I have no idea how that wasn't at least deflected. I, I kind of don't know how that wasn't picked off. Everybody was ooing and aahing and just gushing over how good of a throw that was. And I'm like... I'll be real, Zion Puckett should have picked that off or, or deflected it away. I don't know why his arms were flailing in the wind. I don't know how you don't I don't know how you don't get your hands on that. It was a really it was a really well thrown ball, but still into double coverage, you know what I mean? I think Auburn has been there. It's just more of they haven't made a ton of plays on the ball at this point. Georgia's gonna allow Georgia's gonna keep it in front of Auburn because that's what they want to do. Question for you. Is this rushing attack the 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 best Auburn has faced this season? Georgia's? Yes thinking back yes that this is what could potentially be a concern for me is if Georgia does elect to go short and intermediate they have the running attack to back it up in terms of being efficient on both sides of the ball on offense right if you're gonna if you're gonna throw the ball you're getting those short yarded situations you're getting those completions because Auburn's let that up this season if you want to run the ball if Auburn's run defense is not able to stop them at the point of attack Georgia could just, could just move the ball up and down the field slowly, methodically, at will. That's what they almost. want to do. And that's what they want to do. It's just the question of whether or not Auburn is going to be able to stop that run game. I think they have the opportunity to do so, but it is a concern. Final evaluation here about how Auburn matches up with Georgia. I think that Auburn can exploit some things that Georgia wants to do on offense to try and make them one-dimensional and to make this a competitive ball game. I don't see Stetson Bennett surviving for four quarters and playing like he did two years ago or rather a year ago, I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Not in this environment, not with the way Auburn's defense has been playing so far this season, ain't going to happen. If JT Daniels plays, I question whether or not Georgia's still going to be able to throw the ball. It plays right in the hands of what Auburn wants to do, like we've mentioned. Auburn's going to stop the run, going to put JT Daniels in throwing situations. With him hurt, does Auburn elect to put pressure on him and see if they can can not only affect him mentally but physically as well? 
it's a very similar approach for me when I look at this ball game than I did like I did to the LSU game and what I said on Friday if Auburn's going to win this football game two things got to happen and they both sit around the quarterback position can you make Bo Nix comfortable they made him comfortable in Baton Rouge I, that's the most comfortable I've seen Bo Nix in a road environment and it was in arguably the toughest stadium that he'll play in ever in his college career not just saying this past game but just ever in Death Valley that is that is in my opinion the, the most difficult place to play in the Southeastern Conference now there are some others that that fit into that category the Swamp has had some huge environments namely against Auburn when Bo Nix was a freshman Georgia's another one of those environments but LSU is just as difficult as anywhere in college football when they're at their peak on a Saturday night uh, under the lights in Death Valley that is one of the most difficult places to play in all the country it's very difficult to find anything that can surpass that and they made him look comfortable that centers around Auburn's offensive line that centers around these receivers taking a step forward this week these receivers are going to be roughed up this week these cornerbacks are physical they play in man-to-man coverage when you think Georgia you think physical you do the question is can these receivers get separation in that man-to-man coverage give Bo Nix targets to throw to Auburn's got to make Bo Nix comfortable if this team is going to survive if this team is going to score the passing game will have to exist in some form or fashion you cannot be one-dimensional against Georgia and hope to win this ball game Arkansas didn't do it they got shut out on defense Auburn's got to make the Georgia quarterbacks uncomfortable which I think it's a little bit easier to make a Georgia quarterback uncomfortable especially when they're on the road at Jordan-Hare Stadium they haven't been exposed to this type of road environment I think it's a little bit easier to make a Georgia quarterback uncomfortable than maybe some other quarterbacks that you might face throughout college football my reasoning for this is they're not mobile but they also have elite offensive line play in front of them so that's the thing can you get past that O-line but if you can get to these quarterbacks they're not going to be able to extend plays they're going to have to throw the football away or they're going to crumple like a sack of potatoes and they're going to get sacked okay I mean that that's the reality of it these guys cannot expend, extend plays with their legs if you can get into the backfield you're going to have a shot to reduce this Georgia team to a one-dimensional offense it's the exact same thing as what happened this past weekend at LSU could Auburn get the pressure on Max Johnson they did what happened LSU was one-dimensional they only scored 19 points could you make Bo Nix comfortable they did Auburn was able to find enough points to win in Baton Rouge can you do that again that's the big question it's a much taller task this week against Georgia it's a much more difficult opponent but on the flip side it's also at home and I think on also when you're talking about making Georgia one-dimensional how does Auburn not become one-dimensional who are the guys that are going to be catching passes for Auburn is it going to be the tight ends is it going to be Kobe Hudson consistently is it going to be Javarius Johnson is he going to get involved in any point is Demetrius Robertson against his former team is he going to be a factor it's John Samuel Shanker my man We've got to find somebody that can be the number one clear-cut guy. Right now, it looks like it Shanker. It is Shanker. Isn't that wild? We talked about this this offseason when we were ranking pass catchers, and it's like, we don't think... Pate- Likewise, though, it is Bowers for Georgia. Right, sure. But I'm saying, like, for, for Auburn's offense, I was like, I think a tight end, whoever it may be, will end up in the top five of receivers. But it was like, who's that going to be? We don't know if this, this tight end room is, like, truly capable of that. We see Shanker. He's developed into a pass catcher for Auburn. Now, he did have a couple of drops against LSU, sure. But Auburn's got to find a clear-cut number one guy to go to as the season progresses. They may be able to find it against Georgia this weekend. Can Demetrius Robertson have a big game against his former team? You know, at the end of the day, the drops are going to have to get cut out. And I don't know if that's going to happen over the span of a week. But I do think you and I can say at the LSU game, the receivers didn't play great. The, the receivers were the liability. But I do think they played better against LSU. They seem to be more on the same page with their quarterback than they have been all year long even with still some litterings across the game of them not being on the same page with Bo Nix. But that's just going to be a week-by-week thing. 
And let's see if under Keysaw they take another step forward this week. But at this point, Keysaw's been a success, I think you could say, about this receiving core. And will they continue to take that step this week against Georgia? That that's going to be a big question as to whether or not Auburn can make Bo Nix comfortable. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to give you some of our early impressions of some of the other major matchups happening around college football. Four ranked versus ranked matchups in college football. That means at least four ranked teams are losing. Is there going to be a fifth, which every week this year, there's been at least five ranked teams to lose in the AP Top 25 poll. The carnage! We'll be back with more of On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw at ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Just four minutes left in the Wednesday edition of the show. Lance, it's been a great show today. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've missed any of it, again, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're here. We're there. We're everywhere. We've got the podcast out on all platforms. Go and find it. We've got some uh, we've got some great content loaded up there. Lance channeling his inner Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I like it. You know, I've been all over the place today. <laughs> Take us through this segment, my man. Well, to wrap up the show, like you mentioned, four ranked teams, four ranked matchup this this weekend in college football. At least five top twenty five teams have lost every single week this season. So we're essentially asking in this segment, who's going to be that fifth team to get upset by a non ranked opponent? I think right now, looking at the, the schedule, it's Notre Dame on the road at Virginia Tech. Notre Dame ranked 14th in the nation. I think this is a game where uh, the Irish fall. And this is not because I hate I, I hate the program, which I, I don't hate them. I don't truly hate them. I just have a disdain for, for, for their program and, and the bias that they get. They don't have a quarterback right now. Their best receiving uh, receiver, their uh, tight end, I believe his name's Michael Mayer. He's injured right now. It's at VTech. VTech's got a really good defense. I, I think that I think that uh, the Hokies are able to pull pull this one out. I'll go ahead and say it. I know we'll pick it later, but I, I think that that Virginia Tech wins. Well, I almost talked to you about this yesterday, maybe off air. Maybe we did talk about this a little bit on yesterday's show. Right now, Notre Dame's favored by one on the road, but Virginia Tech's been a good football team this year. I know they lost by six on the road to West Virginia. That's not a great loss, but I don't think it's a horrible loss by any by any means. That's a rivalry game in a hostile place. That's a tough place to play, and it was also at 11 a.m., but they held what can explode, an offense that can explode for 50 points on any given day in North Carolina. They held them 10 points, forced a lot of turnovers, and Notre Dame is not nearly as explosive as what North Carolina can be. They haven't shown that against any teams this year whether it be Toledo or Purdue or or anybody. And some folks may say, well, they scored 41 at Wisconsin. Did you watch the game? There was a, it was a horrible football game. And then Four they just have – Exactly. I mean, the fourth quarter just was Graham Mertz throwing to the other team. He got confused. You know, he said, look, I have not been able to throw a touchdown pass today. Help me. And he threw to the other team and they scored for him. You know, so that, that – I, I think Notre Dame right now with issues with Jack Cohn's health, whether or not he's going to be playing – that there's a revolving door now at quarterback because they use several different quarterbacks against Cincinnati. They've lost faith in the position now that they've opened the door up. And now you're playing a good defense. The question is, can Virginia Tech find the points against a Notre Dame defense that is playing well right now? It is. I think they can at home. This is going to be a raucous environment. 6.30 p.m. ACC Network. That crowd's going to be wild. Another game that I think could potentially get interesting top 25 matchup Number 16, Kentucky at home against LSU. Look, LSU has their backs against the wall right now. 
And Kentucky, we've talked about it a little bit before this week, I don't think they're a fantastic football team. If LSU needs to get a win this weekend, I think they'll find a way to do it. I think it's possible. It comes down to whether or not they can stop Kentucky on the ground. If Kentucky's able to run the football at will, I think think it plays into Kentucky's hands. But I definitely wouldn't write off because there's a number here next to Kentucky's name. I would not write off LSU. Absolutely. Another game that I think could be interesting, number 19, Wake Forest uh, against Syracuse. That could be a matchup where it's just like the ACC's got so much chaos going on right now. I could just see that game being like, oh, Syracuse won. Hmm. Wake Forest is no longer undefeated. How about that? What do you feel about Michigan State Rutgers? Michigan State, that could be an interesting game. It's on the road in Piscataway. That could be a possible top 25 upset. I'm just saying, if you go and play bad, there's a couple of teams that aren't that great, I don't think, like a Michigan State or a Wake Forest, that are playing some bad teams, but if you don't show up, you lose. Could happen. Could happen. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow.